It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. And I'm wondering what it is I should do. Well, the Supreme Court has intervened and announced that it will grant certiorari to uh, the to the appeal of Trump's appeal of the Colorado case knocking him off the ballot. And that's very important. That means that the Supreme Court is going to step in and police this and stop the states from deciding whether a guy can run for president or not. Welcome to the Dick Morris Show with uh, with Doug DePiro, sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. Hi, Dick. How you doing? I'm doing great, Doug. Uh, so I, I hear you have some weather up there. Yeah, I'm braving it while you're in the sunshine. Oh, it's horrible for me. 75 yeah. degrees, it's bright and sunny, I can't see. Give my regards to the sun. <laughs> Son so, of a... So the, uh, so the uh, Colorado and Maine have said that the American people are not going to be able to select who the president's going to be. Right. They are going to keep Trump off the ballot and not give people in those states the option of voting for him. And uh, the Supreme Court has now accepted jurisdiction of this and has scheduled arguments for February 8th, um, which is fine. Now, of course, Colorado would have to send out its ballots right now. So we'll see if they actually include Trump's name or not. But in any case, it's pretty clear that the court is going to overturn this. The question is how... How, Why is that clear? Well, because they accepted certiorari, which means four of the nine justices agreed to it. Got and it. so okay. obviously a federal issue. If anything was a federal issue, this is it. Got it. And okay. um, and the the important thing is that uh, is how they overturn the Colorado decision. Do they did the best of worlds is if they say this was not an insurrection, so the Fourteenth Amendment doesn't apply. Mm-hmm. They're probably not going to say that because that's a finding of fact that the Supreme Court can't make. And that'll change everything. What they'll probably do is to say that uh, that the exclusion of Trump from the ballot is illegal. Uh, it's beyond the authority of the state to do it, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's and it's not an appropriate remedy in this case. Uh, or they might say that the Fourteenth Amendment doesn't cover the president because the issue of whether a candidate for president can be excluded based on being involved in insurrection. The, text of the 14th Amendment does not mention the word president. It says uh, senators and congressmen. Hmm. So probably they'll at least rule that. But one way or another, the important thing is the momentum behind the January 6th issue. The whole, uh, the whole issue of, of insurrection is now being blunted. And even as the Biden campaign invests more and more resources and more and more of its time in pushing the January 6th issue, the legal underpinnings for that are coming undone. Mm-hmm. Um, the court has already accepted certiorari, that is, agreed to see to hear uh, arguments in the case that that about whether the that whether there was an insurrection and whether that uh, qualified as a basis for bringing the January sixth indictments that they brought, and uh, they've agreed to hear that. They'll probably get the decision in May or June that may well exonerate huge numbers of the 
January 6th protesters. Wait, uh, but if it's May or June, you just said that Colorado. Well, has but that that's out. that's being on the ballot. That's going to be resolved in early February. Okay, got it. So the so the fight goes on, and now uh, Haley and DeSantis are both betting big on Iowa uh, and New Hampshire, uh, and what they're trying to do is finish second, which is fine for the guy who's finishing first, Donald <laughs> Trump. But they're fighting each other out hard for second place. And what what's the reason for that? Well, when you go back in history of the Iowa uh, caucuses, they started in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. And in 1976, to mine ancient history, Senator Birch Bayh of Indiana was running against Senator Mo at that time Congressman Mo Udall of Arizona. <clears throat> and they were fighting basically for the right to oppose Jimmy Carter for the nomination. They were the right. two liberals, and Carter was the conservative. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that fight, uh, Bai, who had been the underdog, began to move ahead of Udall and play, polled in a solid second place. Uh, that would have given him the momentum to go on to win second place in New Hampshire yeah. and then be the United left-wing opponent to Jimmy Carter. But Bai's people made a fatal mistake. They said, we're going to finish third in Iowa, not second, which is where they were. Mm-hmm. And by saying we're going to finish third, they all of their voters went stayed home, and many of them switched to Udall because they figured he was going to fi- finish second. And what they wanted was a strong opponent to the liberal, to the conservative, I'm sorry, to the liberal back then, Jimmy Carter. And uh, and and they knew that 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 Bai had said that Udall would finish ahead of him, so the voters dutifully voted for Udall instead of Bai, and they followed the instructions of the Bai campaign, and Bai was never heard or seen from since. Huh. Uh, so everybody learned that it's very important that you explain what how you're going to do in Iowa, and that you anticipate that result, and that you program the voters to respond to it. As not to get them to not to switch come out off of you. Yeah, got it, got it. And okay. uh, Haley, uh, Nikki Haley, just absolutely did the opposite of what she should do. She said to New Hampshire voters, "We have an opportunity to get this right, and I know we'll get it right. And I trust you. I trust every single one of you. You know how to do this. You know Iowa starts it. You know that you correct it. And uh, the and, and that." comment received extensive publicity and the people in Iowa said, oh, okay, so she's conceding Iowa to, uh, DeSantis. to DeSantis uh-huh. finishing second. So we're not going to vote for her. And uh, they switch, they're switching over en masse to uh, DeSantis for second place. Well, I thought if she said that, then they wouldn't, would not No, because because if she's uh-huh. saying I'm going to lose in Iowa, uh, nobody's going to vote for her because the the voters of Iowa see themselves as setting up the race. Got they know that they're the first in the country. They know that Trump is going to finish first, and those that are supporting Trump don't care who finishes second. Those who want an opponent to Trump are very anxious to be sure that their person, Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis, right. finishes second so that he becomes he or she becomes the alternative. Donald Trump. And you find these people are that smart. Does these voters... The voters are. They've gotten very educated in Iowa. Mm -hmm. And they're really as good as race touts. You know, they're racist. Uh, They really are are great in finding out 
in figuring out what their vote means. And when Haley Barber gets up there, and when Nikki Haley gets up there, and says, sorry, I've done that a couple of times. When Nikki Haley gets up there and says, "I'm going to lose in Iowa, but we have to wait to New Hampshire to correct it," she's assuring that she won't only lose Iowa; she gets schlonged in Iowa, and then she's going to need a Haley Mary. And then, yeah, and then on top of that, <laughs> she's coming in and saying, "New Hampshire voters are smarter than Iowa voters, and you have to correct them." Mm. which is just a stupid slap at Iowa voters. Right, piss them off. But Haley and DeSantis have bet massively on the on the Iowa caucuses. Uh, Haley has spent $11 million and DeSantis $6 million wow. in Iowa. If you change your mind, take a chance, on the 13th line, on the unsteel free, take a chance on me. So take a chance, chance on me. Chance. That's the Nikki Haley and the Ron DeSantis. Where did you find that song? It's in my memory. I sing it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> take a chance, chance, chance. Yeah, that, that's that's how I pitch clients. <laughs> <laughs> you, should, you should take a chance, chance, chance on a, a plane a ride on to me. Florida. Yeah. <laughs> That's this how is I not get. a joke. Yep, this is a joke. Wait, seriously, who is that? Take it to Abba. Abba, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. All right. So, so what's going on now is that Nikki Haley, all the anti-Trump people, <clears throat> got together over the Christmas holidays, and they said we are going to consolidate behind one candidate because we need one candidate to oppose Trump. They feel the electorate is divided into pro-Trump and Mm anti-Trump, and that if you fragment the anti-Trump vote among several candidates, they'll never get enough to beat Trump. And uh, as you know, in these caucuses, it's uh, it's based on how many votes you get, not whether you have a majority or not. A plurality is enough. So what they did is they got together over Christmas. That's in the caucuses. That's in the caucuses. And in the first primary. Okay. Go on. So they got together over Christmas. And they said, okay, who is it going to be, DeSantis or Haley? We're billionaires. We're going to pour huge amounts of money into this race. And the thing we have in common is that we hate Donald Trump because he doesn't listen to us and doesn't do what we want him to do. We can't control him. Can't control him. So we're going to decide whether it should be Haley or um, DeSantis. And they met and they decided the person is Nikki Haley, not DeSantis. So Nikki Haley then got a vast amount of money. Over the last month, I mean, a huge amount. I don't think they can open the envelopes or the online transfers fast enough. Uh, and she put $11 million, an enormous amount, into Iowa. Now, let me just explain. You can buy an Iowa TV station for $11 million. <laughs> Forget about an ad. That's pretty good. <laughs> and, and it, <laughs> you can buy the TV station. No, station, yeah. <laughs> and, and radio's even cheaper. So the... You're a funny but, guy. But when they decided to put all their stuff behind uh, Nikki Haley, uh, that was an enormous bet that they made. And Nikki Haley should have stepped out there and said, I'm going to do very well in Iowa because of this. I'm going to finish second. I'm going to be the alternative to Donald Trump. And then I'm going to go into New Hampshire and win, be the strong second there. And then I'll, I'll be, have a formidable candidacy one-on-one against Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. But she did the exact opposite. Uh, she is an amateur, an absolute amateur. What about her people? They're amateurs too? 
Well, well her, her campaign people. What's the story with that? I don't know. I, I, I yeah. find it hard to make excuses for I know. other I consultants' know. stupidity. I but <laughs> this was that. I think maybe she did this on her own or something. I yeah, don't know. right. She didn't listen. Okay, so now let's look at the primary calendar. Mm-hmm. It kicks off on Tuesday of next week. Uh, Tuesday of this of this month, next week, uh, in Iowa on January fifteenth. Then one week later, on January 22nd, it goes to New Hampshire. And those two races will set the agenda. They'll basically say who's in first place, Trump's in first place, who's in second place. And it might who's on consider- first? Who's on first? Yeah. What's on? <laughs> what's the monologue there? Yeah. yeah. Who's on first? Who's on what's first? on second? What's I don't know. Second. Third base. Yeah. So, um, and, but there may not be a decision on that uh, because, the, because Haley screwed it up by basically conceding Iowa, but fighting in New Hampshire. Now, bear in mind that in Iowa, only Republicans can vote in those caucuses. In New Hampshire, independents can vote in the primary as well as Republicans. And since Trump does very well, almost unanimous, among Republicans, but not nearly as well among independents in a primary, that's why Haley felt she had a better chance of winning in New Hampshire. But she screwed it up by understating her chances in Iowa. And New Hampshire voters aren't going to correct for a horrible performance in Iowa. She has to be viable there to carry it over into New Hampshire. Then, as soon as that's over, two weeks later, you have Nevada, uh, where there's going to be a primary. The caucus will be on the 8th of February. On the 6th of February, there's a beauty contest vote for who you want for president, but it's not going to control anything. Uh, the actual delegates will be selected on the 8th. And then three weeks later, you have South Carolina on the 23rd of February. Now, what's going to happen is Haley is going to be reeling from the defeat in Iowa. She may or may not recover in New Hampshire, probably will recover somewhat, and it'll still be a muddled three-way field. Uh, and uh, Trump will then decisively win in Nevada. Nobody's really going to come in second. And uh, it'll remain muddled until February 23rd when Trump decisively defeats Haley in her native South Carolina. And she can't give an excuse for that. She was the former governor. And that will basically knock Haley out of the race and DeSantis uh, too. Really? Uh, Just in case they live on February 27th, four days later, Michigan votes. And that's going to overwhelmingly nominate Trump. And then the final nail in the coffin of the anti-Trump movement will be Tuesday, March 5th, when uh, 19, I think 19 states vote that have a total of 46% of the delegates. Hmm. And that includes California and Texas and North Carolina. And that will be the end of the process. On March 7th, Trump will basically have secured and the Republican January, nomination. February, March. It's two, month, two and a half months. No, that's three months exactly. Yep. Right? Am I right? It's February, March. No, no two, two months. months. Two months exactly. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. So let's summarize what's going on with Trump on the other front, the judicial front, of the various accusations and trials that he faces. 
uh, to some what I said in the last segment, he's going to win in Iowa. He's going to win in New Hampshire. He's going to win in Nevada. He's going to win in South Carolina. He's going to win in Michigan. And he's going to win on Super Tuesday. Does everybody, like, get it? <laughs> he's getting tired of winning. Yeah. You right. understand? This is the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro, sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. But in court, Trump may Trump faces a tougher challenge. But I think even if he loses everything in court, he's going to be the nominee of the Republican Party for president and probably elected, and all this stuff goes away at that point. But let's just go through these other trials. First of all, trials a wonderful comment. What? Trials and tribulations. Yeah. First of all, a wonderful comment by uh, Al Pacino about uh, about these trials. <laughs> hey, Al. Out of order. The whole trial is out of order. <laughs> <laughs> they had to cut that, you know. Yeah. Because it's they totally did? effing out. This effing trial out of order. Yeah. Like on and on. <laughs> That's from the film and Justice for All. That was a great. Let's film. play that again. Yeah. You're out of order. The whole trial is out of order. Okay. That was the judge trying to kill himself. Takes yeah. a helicopter out and <laughs> with no gas. It was the whole thing. It was great. So um, let's go through these charges that are out of order. Okay, the first one is the charge that Trump led an insurrection, and that that led and that that was designed to stop an official proceeding, namely the election of the president, and uh, blaming him for the. January 6th riot and falsely claiming that the January 6th riot was to obstruct the proceeding. In fact, it obstructed it for six hours and uh, there was no destruction of documents, which is the statute under which they were indicted. Uh, But that's all coming up before the Supreme Court. And they've set February 9th, Thursday, February 9th for the arguments. Mm -hmm. And I would expect them to decide that very quickly. And I think by the middle of February that Effort will be gone. There will be no attempt to remove Trump from the ballot. But the interesting thing is whether their Supreme Court action will also determine that either Trump did not engage in an insurrection, unlikely because it's a finding of fact, or that whether it he wasn't did, an insurrection. Yeah, that was not right. Uh. But in any but whether they decide that or not, uh, they're also going to decide that the 14th Amendment a prohibition against an insurrection and running for office Mm -hmm. applies to the president, and I bet it doesn't. Then we get to the real meat of the charges against Trump, and that is is Trump's allegation, Trump's position, that that a uh, president, that a former president, uh, cannot be held criminally liable for things that he did while he was in office. That's the issue at stake, and it's never happened before. Is that in the Constitution? What is that? No, well, the issue is not in the Constitution. The court has to decide that. Got it. And that's never happened before. No Mm -hmm. president has ever been held liable or tried to be held liable for what he did in office. Mm -hmm. Nixon would have faced that, but Ford pardoned pardoned him, Mm -hmm. so it never got to that. Right. But the issue here is twofold. First of all, how will the court rule? And secondly, when will they rule it? If they rule that Trump has immunity and that he can not be prosecuted for stuff he did while he was president and that because the court may say that impeachment is the correct remedy for that the constitution says that if you do something in office you can be impeached for it right and once you leave office the remedy is the normal civil remedy 
of indictment, but that doesn't apply while you're in office, because while you're in office, you can be impeached. So to try him after he leaves office is double jeopardy. Mm. So the court has to decide that. But more importantly is the issue of when they decide it, because of the Democratic tactic, which is not so much to get Trump ruled off the ballot or ruled in violation or convicted of a crime, but to do so early enough so it can influence votes in the primaries and influence votes in the general election. Now, the mere fact that Trump filed this appeal and that the Supreme Court accepted it basically means that there will be no adjudication of this until after March 5th, which is a Super Tuesday date. So Trump will de facto be the Republican nominee at that point, and uh, that's an enormous advantage, and it means that part of the Democratic goal to stop Trump from being the candidate is already moot. Then the question is when the decision in this case comes down. Now, the case is the case, the basic underlying case that Trump uh, obstructed the election and that Trump uh, was guilty of of all kinds of horrible stuff from that Mm -hmm. is set to go to trial in Washington in March, the day before Super Tuesday, March 4th. But it remains on hold until Trump's attempt to dismiss the charges on the ground that he has immunity are resolved. And because it's on hold, they obviously cannot make the March trial date. So now the question is, when will they make this decision? The Federal Appeals Court in Washington that is accepted, that is going to hear the case has set up a three-judge panel to hear the arguments on Tuesday of this week. But a three-judge panel itself is a victory for Trump because it takes a while to hear the arguments, a while to hear the case, and then if you don't like their decision, a while to appeal it to the full circuit court. Uh, and that appeal is almost always granted. And then the circuit court has to hear the whole thing, and then you have the option of appealing that. And finally, it gets to the Supreme Court. And that case isn't going to come to trial at the Supreme Court until late summer or early fall, or more likely, after the election. Uh, Nobody's going to hear a case on this stuff in September or October with the presidential election in November. So if the court moves quickly to hear the case, The federal charges could be heard by a jury in late spring or summer. But if the court moves at its regular speed, there won't be time for a trial before the election is decided, which means, in effect, this whole thing is moot. None of the indictments against Donald Trump mean anything. They're all going to be washed out one way or another in the election, and this whole thing is much ado about nothing. Count them, by the way. That's the fifth time the media has... attempted to hijack the Trump campaign uh, by posing some kind of phony obstacle. Uh, The first was when they said that he was colluding with Russia. Oh, no, sorry, he wasn't. That was Hillary Plant. Then that he had colluded with Ukraine um, to uh, get evidence against Biden. No, no, I'm sorry, that wasn't Trump. That was Biden who did it. And then that he incited the mob for an insurrection on January 6th. Uh, No, that wasn't an impeachable offense. And now this one. And all of these are futile efforts to stop Donald Trump from coming before the voters. And at last, they're going to be out of efforts to do that. Okay, so what happens if the immunity case is put over uh, to a point where a trial before Election Day is impossible? And that's probably what's going to happen. At that point, the only charges that are going to be heard 
are these these crazy charges about Stormy Daniels. <laughs> uh, that a federal no election way. interference trial will be postponed her. and the New York DA Bragg will bring Trump up on charges of hush money payments to Stormy. And uh and oh you know the, the, and that the the trial court held that Trump uh did uh did interfere with her but not necessarily sexually harass her and Trump denied the allegations completely. And that's not going to be here or there. It's not going to knock him off the ballot. The most it'll be is a little bit of a black eye. But everybody knows the circumstances of this. They know it's a hooker uh, claiming, I'm sorry, a porn star, excuse me. Through all. Uh, yeah, making all kinds of claims, and everybody knows that that's, that that's not going to be determinative. Then what's left is basically <laughs> cleaning more? up. Yeah, then more? what's left is basically cleaning up after the parade. Uh, the, quite, the other thing is the documents case that he did what Biden clearly did, uh, which is to keep these documents that should have been checked back into the archives at that time. Right. But Judge Aileen Cannon, who's the only judge we're talking about here who was appointed by Trump, uh, said that she's worried that that trial might collide with the federal election charges. And uh, it is virtually impossible for the trial to start on the start date of May 20th. And it's going to be very hard for them to bring this to trial wow. before the election. And it's not a very serious charge. It's maybe the one he's most likely to be convicted on, but it's a technicality. It's like an overdue library book. <laughs> now, the Georgia case that everybody's focused on, poor Rudy Giuliani is being horribly, unjustly treated over. Love him. That isn't going to, that's a forget about that. That's gone. That's not going to come up until after the election. Because the Fulton County DA uh, said the trial should start in August, and uh, nobody thinks that that can happen. And that trial is, is over. That's not going to happen. And then we're left with the civil case, the attorney general of New York, who thinks that Trump and his company fraudulently overestimated the value of yeah. their properties in oh, order to get yeah. loans. And it's a fraud trial. Who is that? Who does that? Uh... That's before. That's before this horrible. No, what's state her trip. name? What's her name? Uh, the, I forget. Uh... But the the point is that that this is a fraud for which there were no victims. There's no complainant. There's nobody that said yeah, they right. were defrauded. Right. The bank didn't yeah. say anything. So right. probably this judge, who's very biased, will rule against Trump, but will probably undoubtedly be thrown out on appeal. And the only remaining charge, I think, God. I've got them all covered, is Another by Eugene one? Carroll a New York writer who claims that Trump raped her in a New York department store in oh, the 1990s. the Bergdorf thing? Yeah, the Bergdorf thing. Yeah, okay. And that's not going to have any effect one way or the other. The trial starts in New York a week from Tuesday, and they'll be good for headlines, but it's not going to really derail Trump. His numbers will go up. Yeah. He'll be indicted <laughs> more often, as I told him. So, and he'll um, laugh you ha-ha, that's funny, Dick. So all of this, I think, is basically coming to a close. And it's being forced by Trump's motions that are delaying the trials of this stuff. When I say Trump's motions, it's seeking his constitutional rights. Uh, but uh, I don't think that this stuff is going to come to trial before Election Day. And at that point, I think Trump is going to win. The Justice Department, under the new attorney general appointed by the Honorable Donald Trump, will drop these charges and everything will go away. This will be graffiti in the history of the world. 
And then can we get on to uh, Hunter Biden and Hillary and all the other yeah, stuff? Yeah, and we can get on to the damn election in the first place. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. After that, I mean. Let's go to Larry in Brooklyn for a minute. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Larry. Hey, how you doing, Bill? Uh, um, My name yeah, is Dick. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know what I'm thinking. Two, two, I didn't know Bill who even. But anyway, two points I'd like to make. First of all, in terms of the immunity, um, I think even an intermediate appellate court could find. Uh, yeah, they could. Could find. Could find that not not not, not that he's only he's immune, but throw it out for overzealous prosecution. Because yeah. I read that the Justice Department has an official position. This issue has never been litigated. And their official position is that the president has immunity. Yeah. So they're going against their own official stated position yeah. in a paper, in a published paper. Yeah, I think so that, you're right. I think we could win it on in the lower court. Uh, but we'll see. What, what's your other point? My, my other point is I also feel the Supreme Court could find factually that there was no insurrection because an insurrection – and the presidency is actually an oxymoron because an insurrection is, is an inferior rebellion, and a president cannot engage in an insurrection against, against himself. himself. Yeah. Okay, I think that's true. And that's why the statute that's why the statute doesn't mention the president. Right. But they're gonna the court's gonna rule as narrowly as it can. And there's plenty of other grounds. Double jeopardy, uh, the idea that the president isn't mentioned in the amendment. The idea that he didn't really engage in insurrection, your point, which is good, that the president can't be in revolt against himself. Uh, so I think that this is all, you know, all of this stuff, when we look back on it with Trump in the White House, will be so much trivia. It, these are the answers to a trivia contest, not something that the country really depends on. Credibility to stupidity. Right. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Welcome back. This is Dick Morris with Doug DePiro on the... Uh, Dick Morris show sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. Um, <clears throat> back when the left started its stepped up agitation over the summer of of twenty twenty, uh, in the wake of the of the um, the horrible murder that went on in in uh, I'm sorry I forgot the name George Floyd, um, the left switched its rhetoric. It had always been talking about equality. Martin Luther King on. And equality was the goal that they were seeking. And everybody sympathized with that. It had a broad national consensus and was strongly backed in the Constitution. But equality wasn't good enough for them. What they wanted was what they called equity. And most of us would see equality and equity as more or less synonyms. But they argued that, no, they're not synonyms. Equality simply says we should be treated equally with everybody else. Everybody should be treated the same. But equity means that some people, like in Animal Farm, are more equal than others. And they should be treated differently because of the past history of discrimination. Not just a question right now of whether they should get the job or the opening in school. Consider the fact that for the last zillion years, they and their ancestors and their ancestors and their ancestors have been badly treated or enslaved or discriminated against, and you need to overcorrect to give them a preference. And that was 
called equity. And then that combined with the decision of the Supreme Court back then, since changed, about affirmative action that said that you can bias things in favor of certain ethnic groups in order to promote diverse in order to promote diversity in your student body or in your workforce. That there was something inherently good and important about achieving diversity, and particularly in an educational institution, and that that was important to do that. So there became DEI, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. And colleges set up DEI offices, companies gave their employees DEI training, and all of that. And the world got filled with people that really weren't qualified for their jobs, but got them under DEI. And now that whole thing is coming apart. Handling legal matters is stressful. So, let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Welcome back to the Dick Morris Show. This is Dick Morris with Doug DePiro. Sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. Hey, Dick, um, John Tobacco, the greatest guy, just texted me. He said, uh, Trump said, um, to close the border and drill, drill, drill. Yeah, that's, that's right. what he said. Yeah. Those Thanks, John. He says hello, a, Dick. Yeah, hey, John. <laughs> Those are the things where he said he'll be a dictator on day one. Yeah, whatever. So there is a plan that has been proposed uh, by uh, Tom Swazi who is uh, was a former congressman from Nassau who ran for governor and got clobbered. He lost the uh, Democratic primary. And he's now running in a special election uh, coming up on, uh, in February, coming up on, um, let's see the date here. February 13th. February 13th, yeah, that's right. Coming up on February 13th to replace uh, the the current congressman, George Santos, who's been thrown out of the House. What's the name? And the name of the congressman who got axed is Santos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right, and right, And the right, Republican, right. the Democrat, is Tom Swazi. Got it. The Republican, who I think we'll interview in a few minutes, is Maxie Pillup. Mm-hmm. Um, but the big issue in that campaign is that Swazi has been pushing hard for a new tax, a congestion tax, uh, to charge motorists $15 to enter Manhattan's business district. If they come like in, down in the mid- midtown and then down? Yeah, basically south of 60th Street. Oh, God. And, I do that every day on my motorcycle. And if you do it several times, they only charge you once, but it's still <laughs> $15. Uh, 
So it basically increases the fee for parking in the business district from a quadrillion dollars to a quadrillion plus 15. <laughs> um, what is a quadrillion? Okay. <laughs> um, during, the, uh, during his 2022 campaign for governor when he lost, Swazi boasted that he was a big supporter of congestion pricing going back to 2006, and he called for a delay of the implementation uh, of it, well, well, called for a delay of its implementation during COVID, but he said as soon as COVID was over, he would go back to pushing it. And the toll pricing plan, which is to charge anyone $15 to drive below 60th Street, is projected to generate a billion dollars a year, Whoa. and the MTA would use it uh, to finance $15 billion in repairs, improvements, and expansion projects in subways, railroads, and buses, and curb traffic jams during peak hours. Transit officials say that they are not going to grant an exception to people that live below 60th Street. Uh, they're going to have to pay the $15 in effect as part of their rent. And uh, they're not giving that the toll exemption to anybody. Ha! Huh, that's just us. And they say waiving the fee for one group of drivers would mean we'd have to waive it for everybody. Uh, now, so that's the issue, and it's a serious proposal. And it really will be on the ballot in effect in on February 13th, is it, when uh, when Maxie Phillip, Maxie Ma- Phillip. Ma- Massey, what is Z? Massey Phillip runs against Tom Swazi. And uh, we're really going to have a chance to, in effect, to vote on that tax in that election. So I'd love to hear your views. And please call me if you have any at uh, 888. What's the number? Um, Yeah, well, you know the number. Okay. 800-848-9222. Okay, cool. 848-9222. Eight four eight nine two two two, and um, this is a very serious proposal, and I think that it would be uh, really a disaster uh, for people who live in Nassau, Suffolk County, and uh, and Westchester, and New Jersey, and anyone who comes into the Central Business District. In London, they have such a thing, and uh, you can't go into downtown London without paying a large congestion fee, and they enforce that by photographs, by taking pictures of your license plate sure. and then proceeding against you. Did it work? Uh, well, it reduced congestion, all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also reduced jobs, and it also... Income um, and... Re- yeah, sure. and it hurt the people in London very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a... Uh, but the New York Business District is much larger than the London Business District. And the population of the New York area is much larger than London's. Uh, so it's a very, very controversial, very tough proposal. I oppose it completely because I think that uh, there are enough taxes. I think the idea of social engineering by taxation is a rotten idea. Mm. Uh, if you want people not to be in the business district and say pass a law or a zoning code saying you can't and have cops stop them and send them back. Wait, what do you mean? What, 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 well, that, if you want to stop people from entering the business district, stop them. Don't, don't try to charge them more in the toll and use that as an excuse for revenue. Nobody comes to 60th Street and below uh, during the weekday because they're curious or they're tourists <laughs> or they want to see the Empire State Building or they want to visit Wall Street. 
Right. They come because their job requires it. Got and it. to find them $15 a day for that privilege is just outrageous. Mm. Their taxes built the bridges and the streets that people are taking, and they're entitled to use them. And to rank discrimination to say that they can't uh, just because their destinations are below 60th Street. It's one of these social engineering things that the left cooks up that make life very difficult for the rest of us. And also, by the way, make job creation very difficult. You're adding to a long list of reasons not to locate your business in New York. Mm. And uh, we don't need to add to that list of reasons. We don't need the unemployment, the lack of jobs that would result that would result in. And when Swazi proposes this, I think he's way on the wrong side. I gotta tell you, Dick. I, yeah. I gotta, I gotta tell you, Dick. You, you changed my mind in five minutes because I was thinking well, that's good, no congestion. But yeah. after that, no I'm congestion making... means no you, Doug. Yeah, <laughs> you're kidding. I'm down there. Constantly. Yeah, you live south of 60th Street. So. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, and, so, no, seriously, you actually changed my mind immediately in five yeah. minutes. Well, yeah. I mean, you you, you shouldn't try to engineer by taxation right. that which you're not willing to prohibit by legislation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, the and the idea of adding to the cost of working below 60th Street is just ridiculous. It's sure. absurd. It's outrageous. It means that the whole vital part of New York, which is its financial district, its business district, uh, the you know, New York, as you know, has two downtowns, the way downtown that's the financial insurance and banking capital of the world. Right. And then Midtown that's downtown. That's the real estate advertising uh, and uh, and accounting sure. center of the world. My world or my life. Yeah. And, uh, and to charge $15 to enter that as an admission fee uh, <laughs> is, is basically telling these companies, don't locate here, move out. And if they move out, I wonder how New York is going to collect the billions in property taxes it gets, and I wonder how they're going to replace the well, jobs that it's I, going to loss. I like the point you made. The tourists aren't coming in, during the week yeah. going there. Yeah. So that's the point you what made me. These are not optional trips. Right, uh, right, These right, are right. not pleasure cruises. These are the workers. Anybody driven to Manhattan south of 60th Street during the business day is basically entering a parking lot. Sure. And, uh, and you're going to have to stay there and spend your day behind the wheel. So it is ridiculous and absurd and outrageous to try to tax that by a congestion tax, they call it. Uh, The congestion is caused because there are jobs here and people here that are essential. And by the way, let me just say that about 80% of the revenues of the city of New York are generated south of 60th Street. Right. Um, most, Most of the major property taxes and a goodly portion of the income tax. So you're literally taxing the hand that feeds you. Right. Now They think they're the decongestant. <laughs> in a few minutes, we've invited uh, Maisie Phillip, who is the Republican candidate for Congress in uh, the 3rd District in Nassau County, mm-hmm. to come on the show and explain why she opposes the congestion tax and uh, why Tom Swazi, the Democrat, supports it.
Is she on the phone? It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. And I'm wondering what it is I should do. Our show with Doug Capiro, sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. Um, we, have, we have calling in now Maisie Phillip, uh, who is running as the Republican candidate for the 3rd Congressional District in Nassau Already. County. Nassau, Suffolk, I think. And that's basically... The top U.S. diplomat has visited... occupied by uh, George Santos until they kicked him out of the House of Representatives. Now, that election is worth, is far more important than just a local election because the Republican margin by which we control the House of Representatives is now down to only two seats. So, you know, a, a, a bad case of COVID can knock us out of power. And if we ever will lose that majority, it means goodbye impeachment, goodbye any serious investigation of the Bidens, uh, goodbye any... Uh, any capacity to block the crazy proposals the Democrats are making. <clears throat> and it become basically repealing the election of 2022. So this is a vital seat and a very important thing. I would argue that the ouster of George Santos was basically partisan, uh, designed simply to try to shrink our majority. And the situation was made more acute the other day when one of the Republican congressmen, instead of just serving out his term, instead opted to take a job at Youngstown University uh, as his president that led him to resign his seat. So we now have only a majority of two. But Maisie Phillips is a, Phillip, Pillip, I'm sorry, no H, is a very qualified candidate. Uh, first of all, ethnically, she's uh, black, she's Jewish, uh, and she's a former Israeli. In fact, she was a paratrooper, I believe, in the Israeli Defense Forces. Uh, so really a, a – and a, now serves in the county legislature. So hello, Maxie. Are you there? Yes, yes. Thank you for having me. Yes, well, I'm here. Good to have you here. So tell us a little Hi, bit about you? yourself and why you're running. Okay. So, you know, I'm the currently the county legislator for the 10th district in Nassau County, um, I have been serving uh, my community the last two years. Now I'm running because uh, there's a lot of uh, bad policies uh, right now out there that uh, our President Biden and the squad members and uh, Tom Swazi uh, keep passing. And uh, that's creating really a problem for our country. We're talking about a lot of issues from our border security um, to, you know, uh, what's happening in our streets, uh, safety of uh, our residents in our economy. And uh, those are the issues that uh, my third uh, congressional district residents very much concerned. And I decided to run uh, to be the voice in the national so level. Tell us a little bit about your background in the Israeli army. Of course. So I don't know how much you know. I was born in Ethiopia in 1991 during the civil war. I immigrated to Israel together with my family. It was a, a secret operation where United States and Israel brought about 14,500 Ethiopian Jews. I was 12 years uh, old. 
um, came to new country, bright country, beautiful country that gave me the opportunity to grow. Um, as soon as I finished high school, I wanted to serve in the IDF. Uh, it was my way to give back to the country that gave me a um, better future. Um, and I joined the paratrooper Drogay, uh, where I served uh, uh, one year and nine months, uh, a person who were in charge of uh, weapons. Um, and it was a great opportunity, as I said, to give back, uh, to learn, to grow as a person. And then I, fin I finished the Army service, and uh, I did my bachelor degree and master degree in diplomacy and security, and I moved to the United States about 17 years ago. Um, Tell us a little bit. Husband. Walk us more slowly through those degrees, okay? Your academic degrees. achievements. Yes, yes, yeah. So my, my bachelor degree, I did it in, in Haifa University and Technion. Uh, that was occupational therapy. Um, and then for master's degree, I did in diplomacy and security at Tel Aviv University. Um, and, uh, and then right after, I did my internship at United Nations. Um, well, that's quite a resume. You interned at the UN, uh, yes. a, a BA and an MA, uh, and an MA in national security, and, uh, and service in the Israeli Defense Forces. Uh, yes. that, that's quite a, quite a resume. Congratulations. Thank you so, very much. Thank you. Maisie, we were just talking before you came here about the issue of the congestion tolls that Swazi is pushing uh, to charge everybody $15 for the privilege and the joy and the wonder of getting stuck in a traffic jam in below 60th Street in Manhattan. And I gather you're opposing that. So tell us a little Absolutely. bit about it. I'm opposing it because it's really uh, it's gonna it's gonna destroy the, uh, the middle class families who are working very hard and you know committing their uh, themselves to go there to work uh, and they have some so many of them have businesses there and making it difficult for us, difficult for our residents and uh, Governor Hoko and Sam Swazi supporting it and I'm opposing it. Uh, it's just going to bring more problems to our residents, and we are not going to allow this uh, to to happen. We yeah. have to allow our middle class families, you know, to to work and, and and support themselves. And we're taking away that privilege every time we come in again with another policies that serve the governor Hoko and Tom Swazi's interests. Now, um, you uh, you are strongly opposed to tax increases, and I gather opposed them in the county legislature. Uh, yes. But Swazi loves tax increases and yes. uh, votes yes. for a lot of them. Tell us a little bit about that issue. Absolutely. You know, in the last two years um, since uh, I became an Nassau County legislator, I was able to face uh, uh, for two years together with our county executive, Bruce Blackman, and other legislators in the majority. We, uh, we didn't increase taxes, property taxes, which was very, very important for our residents, uh, you know, especially during this uh, time of uh, economy or which is very very hard for middle class families um you know in terms of even grocery like people middle class families is it's become very hard for them to 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 buy or to think about the next meal for their children we're talking about uh, food prices that's over by 20 percent up and then we're talking mm -hmm. about rent which is 18 percent up and we're talking about electricity which is you know up by 24 percent um, and uh, what we did in Nassau County, again, with the leadership of our uh, county executive, Bruce Blakeman, we didn't increase 
property taxes. But at the same time, we were able to uh, fully fund our police because we want to we believe supporting our law enforcement is one of the most important things that we, as the leaders of this county, should continue to do because we want to create safety for our residents. Well, the issues at stake in this election are vastly magnified from a traditional congressional race because control of the House of Representatives really may hinge on this election. And uh, we have only a two-seat majority in the House. And when you look at what the Democrats have passed in the Senate and are knocking on the door to pass in the House, it's horrible. It's it's a totally different world that they would like to legislate. Uh, they want to uh, open the borders completely and basically eliminate any constraint on anybody coming here. Uh, they want to eliminate bail for uh, serious crimes, and after you arrest them, you basically let them go. They want to cut the funding for the police and uh, it's a pro- program that would be horrible in its impact in the country. And there were only basically one district, well, three, standing in the way of this happening. And for that to continue, we need Maisie elected to Congress. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. It's not a, Really, this election is not about me or Swadi. It's about the future of our country. All those extreme policies that uh, President Biden with a, with a lefty progressive um, member of Congress, together with Swazi, when he was there for six years, Congress they created. Let's take let's think uh, or talk about uh, our border security. The facts are that many uh, immigrants coming from there, we don't even know who they are. We don't know if they are criminals. We don't know if they are terrorists. And the amount of drugs that's coming from the borders is something that we all of us very much concerned. And I don't know how our president the one who was elected by the American uh, uh, people, will promote extreme policies out there that putting our national security at risk. And isn't it great great mm -hmm. to hear that from an immigrant herself uh, who came here to the United States within the last 20 years? Absolutely. And and is standing up for reasonable controls on immigration. It's terrific. It undermines their whole argument. Yeah, you know, I will tell you, I mean, I know it, uh, and, and uh, you know, my husband knows who were born in Ukraine and make it to the United States in the legal way, and uh, he, ha- you know, he, he's living the American dream, and I live the American dream, and this country was funded by, you know, um, immigrants. We support immigration. We absolutely, I want everybody to live the American dream, but there is a way to do it. The way Biden and Swazi and the Congo members especially the squad, the way they're doing it's so wrong in so many levels. I said, you know, our national security is risk. And on top of it, why you will bring so many migrants without any plan and classes? Those people are coming for a better life. They are not coming here to sleep on tents. That's not the way to do it. That's so wrong in many levels. And I know it because I immigrated twice. It's very hard to be a new immigrant if you don't have policies in place that can help those immigration immigrants to integrate to the, the, the American society in the right way is going to be a problem down the line. You know, know this it's just a, completely a chaos. There's and a, we um, are no longer it should allow something like this to to continue to happen. And the way to do it really to bring new voice like me to Congress, people who care, people who know. There's been a whole people. move lately among uh, Latino and Hispanic voters uh, against uh, Biden and in favor of Trump. The gigantic switch, one of the most 
incredible switches in our politics. Mm-hmm. At the moment, Trump is actually carrying the Latino vote by 48 to 41, <laughs> having lost it by about 40 points in the election of 2020. And the big issue that's driving them is immigration, not in the sense of the uh, Democratic issue of let him in, but in the sense of the issue raised by Maxi, which is open your eyes to who you're letting in and let good people like Maxi and her husband, Mazi, sorry, mm-hmm. who, are, who are determined to build America, let them in, but keep those who want to come in here basically to destroy America and keep them out. And uh, I think that that distinction is very clear, and the candidacy of Mozzie Pillip uh, for Congress is a great way of illustrating that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. It really is all about our border security. It's all about supporting our law enforcement and creating more safe communities around the country, and it's all about improving our economy. So I'm very excited about this race, and uh, we're going to do a great job. And I think uh, the third congressional district president uh, ready, ready for um, a fighter, ready for a mother who cares about the future of this country, because this country has been a good country for me, very kind to me and my husband. We want to make it. We want to make sure this country will continue to be great for our children and grand-grandchildren and for the next generation in general. Well, I can't think of a better qualification for being a congressman from the U.S. than love of liberty. And uh, Mazi and her husband from the Ukraine have manifest their love of liberty, but with their feet by moving to the United States in order to share in that liberty. And it is wonderful that the Republican Party of Nassau County, it is Nassau or Nassau Suffolk, uh, Mazi, it's both counties? Nassau, Nassau, Nassau County and a little bit uh, of the Queens. Okay. Queens have, uh, have decided to nominate Mazi. Uh, who really can be a bold statement of the kind of members of Congress and the kinds of Americans we want in our country. Thank you so much for coming on, and good luck in the election. Thank you, Martin. Thank you. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, Welcome back to the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro, sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. There was an earthquake in the country in the last two years, a political earthquake that has, that has become huge in the last two or three months. The Latino vote, the Hispanic vote in the United States has shifted dramatically, suddenly, and enormously from the Democrats to the Republicans. And uh, Trump Trump got 26% of the Latino vote when he first ran for president in 2016. He got up to 31% in 2020, and he is now polling at 48%. That's unbelievable. He's actually carrying the Hispanic vote in the last two polls by John McLaughlin, 48 to 41 Unbelievable. It just is enough That's to so great. completely remake the whole concept of American politics. And how they how we did it is, is really interesting, how Trump did it. The Democrats massively miscalculated. They said the big issue to use to keep the Hispanic vote and to get more of it is to let in 
more immigrants from South America. Mm. And the more we have an open door and we don't have restrictive immigration and we don't have the wall and we don't have border checks and all of that, the more votes among Hispanics we're going to get because the Hispanic voters undoubtedly feel, the Democrats believe, that excluding people from South America is racist and motivated by desire to keep America white and Protestant and all of that. And uh, it was a massive, massive backfire. Unbelievable. Because while that was happening, the people who had already come to the, to the United States and were American citizens, who were the vast majority of the Latino vote, saw the people that were trying to come in. And they saw the, the terrible stuff they represented. These were human traffickers. These were uh, people that wanted to change America mm-hmm. and exploit us. And it just became clear that the people they were going to let in were going to destroy this country. And Trump's border wall no longer became something which was designed to exclude people that want to come here, that should come here. It was more like the Great Wall of China to keep out the barbarians and protect the society that we have. And as a result, the Hispanic views of immigration completely changed. And it gives us, and it completely changes the math of the electorate. Um, the Democratic Party is held aloft by four groups, blacks, Hispanics, single women, and uh, young people. And three of them, um, blacks, Hispanics, and young people, have flipped now and moving against the Democrats and for the Republicans. Say again, blacks, Hispanic, young people. Who was the fourth? Single women who Single still women. are voting right, Democrat. Right, right, right. Um, but we'll wait about that. Uh-huh. But the... The point is that this is totally undermining the base of the Democratic Party. And it's happening not because of anything that we Republicans are accusing them of doing. It's about what the Democrats are deliberately saying to the electorate ought to be their priorities. And uh, the the Democratic issue is just backfiring in an enormous way. Uh, it's incredible to watch. And this is a gigantic transformation. Um now, people are only beginning to understand it, only beginning to absorb it, but uh, the the change will be enormous, both in the congressional elections coming up and, of course, in the presidential contest. Let's go to Richard in New York. Hi, Richard. Yes, good afternoon, sir. Pleasure to speak to you and, you. and your associate. Listen, uh, I've got two questions, quick ones for you. First of all, what do you suspect – your opinion, would Trump do, in other words, in terms of uh, legislation or executive order, what are the three most important things he would do when he gets in to uh, 2024? Okay, well, I think the, he's answered that himself. I think the first thing is that he's going to repeal all of Biden's immigration policies, and he's going to reinstate the ones that he had. In that sense, the Trump administration really is back to the future, it's picking up where he left off when he left office right. and finishing those policies. He'll complete the border wall. He'll change the catch and release policies to one where once you catch people here illegally, you don't release them. You put them through the court system. And if possible, you arrest them and you adjudicate it in Mexico where they don't have the whole panoply 
of constitutional rights. I think the second thing he's going to do is going to be the most significant. He's going to, as he says, drill, baby, drill. When you look at the situation in the world today, the most powerful country is the one that can produce the most oil. And Biden has this country averse to oil, allergic to oil, and doing everything it can to undermine the production of oil, Mm. even when the entire economy in the world depends upon it. So I think that what Trump is going to do is to increase dramatically U.S. oil drilling. Um, the world produces about nine, about 100 million barrels of oil a day, and the U.S. is the number one producer with about 12 million barrels. Trump will probably increase that to 20 million or 25 million. Mm. And all of a sudden, all of the terrorists in the Middle East are going to be broke. Russia is going to be broke. It's not going to be able to fund its military. China is going to be begging for oil and won't be able to meet its needs. And he'll reimpose the oil embargo on Iran so that Iran can no longer provide uh, China with the means that it does to foment aggression around the world. Hamas will go bankrupt, and the entire nexus of global problems will be solved almost overnight How is initiative. it? How is it that the Biden administration doesn't understand that or doesn't want to do that? Well, How is that? Well, we're open for opinions. Uh, some people say that it's because they're anti-American. Yeah. Others say that they are just so embodied in a green agenda that they can't see beyond that. And they can't look at the national security implications of re, of, of boosting our oil production. Right. Uh, yeah. That the, the front lawn will be will be beautiful, but we'll all be dead before terrorists run yeah, around. Yeah. Right. And uh, right. and others just say that he is uh, controlled by the ultra left, and that that is an article of faith with them. And they don't care about our national security. They don't care about our nation. So the one world order thing. Yeah, one world order. One world disorder. So, um, yeah. who knows why they're You're doing out of that. order. Yeah. Uh, so, I think those are the major things. That, and I think the other thing Trump is going to do, you asked for three, is that he'll make the tax cuts that he passed in uh, 2017, uh, 2017 and 18 permanent. Right now, they're due to expire. And, uh, mm-hmm. and he's going to help the economy to grow more dramatically. Uh, by continuing those tax cuts. So I think, in effect, his agenda is kind of back to the future. Yeah. I love that saying, back to the future. You think he's going to look into China if he gets back in? Yeah, I think the key thing here will be to disempower China by increasing our oil production. But you're right, Doug. A big part of what he's going to do is investigate the sources and the origins of COVID. And if it's substantiated that China... Uh, developed the developed COVID basically, and released Purposely. it to the world. He's going to impose trade and other sanctions on China, uh, and there's a whole list of stuff that he'll do. But the one thing he's not going to do is declare himself a dictator and suspend the political process in the United States. It's Joe Biden right. who does that. Let's go to Mel in Saratoga. Hi, Mel. Oh, yes. Uh, good afternoon, uh, gentlemen, and especially to you. Uh, uh, um, my thought was, well, yeah, to go back to what you talk about congestion pricing, anything that a Democrat has to do or wants to introduce is not to benefit you because you, you're, you're just, I mean, you're, you're your co-host. He was saying, boy, you changed my mind in five minutes. No, anything a Democrat does 
or proposes, instantly should tell you it's not to benefit you but to punish you. It's why right. he's a piece of crap. We all know. You know, but anyway. You're right. Let me go back to uh, to VP, President Trump's VP pick. Uh, Dick, your, your thought about Harmeet Dillon, who was submarined by uh, uh, Rona, McDa- Rona Romney McDa- Mc, Mc Romney, um, when yeah. uh, she ran for uh, right. uh, the uh, – yeah, for the uh, Republican uh, chairman. I, I think that she, I think she, Dylan, I think you pronounce it, is good. And I think Rona McDaniel is terrible. Uh, and I think that Trump should get rid of her as soon as he takes, as soon as he wins the nomination, in fact, because he doesn't need to wait for the election. Once he's the Republican candidate, he can do that. And I think that's oh, yeah? important. Yeah, the one thing that I think has changed here is that the Republican Party and McDaniel have completely flip-flopped on the issue of early voting. They always said, don't vote early. It's, it increases the capacity of the Democrats to cheat and uh, get your votes uh, and, and wait until Election Day and then vote massively. And that was proven just wrong. And uh, it's a mistake that they all made, including President Trump. And uh, we saw that in the Pennsylvania Senate election, where by the time the polls actually opened, the Republican candidate, Dr. Oz, was down by about 800,000 votes before the first ballot was counted because of early voting. And I think it's very important that the Republican Party orient itself now to strongly supporting early voting and encouraging people to do that. And I think that... uh, Ronald McDaniel's failure to do that was responsible for a lot of our defeats. Let's go to Sandra in New Jersey. Hi, Sandra. It's good to talk to you. Hi, Sandra. (laughs) Hi, Doug and Dick. You know, I wanted to make two comments. One on your discussion earlier about hiring people for the wrong reasons, you know, the critical race theory, instead of hiring on merit and skill. That makes me very reluctant to fly on an airplane because it's, I, I, I think it's already happening in the aviation industry. So I just wanted to bring that up because if they're going to hire for the wrong reasons, we may not be so safe. Then I wanted to well, ask don't go, you. Right before you go under for an anesthetic, ask if your doctor's here because of affirmative action. <laughs> Are you a Democrat or a Republican? Yeah. Right. Go All ahead, right. though, Sandra. Wow. Okay. And also, you know, I was having lunch with my sister and our friends yesterday, and we can't figure out why the black people, for instance, don't wake up and realize what have the Democratic people done for you lately. When I think about the country, I think about the Democrats putting all their efforts into the immigrants, to getting all these privileges and all these perks. I think about in California how they're spending money now to allow children to go for those barbaric surgeries. I think about how much energy was put into the trans people. What about the black people? I never hear them talk about them. What have they done for them? I think it's time for them to give us a try, and they may end up being people. Yeah, I think they're absolutely right, Sandra. And uh, the polling shows Trump who got only 12% of the black vote in 2020, is now closing in on a quarter of the black vote and may indeed go higher. Um, I think that that, that that is a big flip that's going on. And I think the underlying point you're making, which is that the Democrats have give, give much more priority 
to those who are not here and they want to bring in here to the, as opposed to those black people who are here and have been Americans for years. Uh, and I think that priority is going to backfire on them tremendously. Thank you for your call, Sandra, and good to hear from you. Go to Minnie in New, New Hyde. Hi. Uh, good afternoon. Um, I'd like to talk about Maisie Phillips. Her credentials are great. She supports, uh, she's on the right side of things. She's on the Republican line, but she won't give up her Democratic um, registration. And uh, I'd like to say that you should get on a lot of people. Uh, Trump won't get through anything if we have a Democratic Congress, uh, Democratic House and a, a Senate. You should get people on from these different states and interview them. And see, uh, interview Democrats and interview Republicans, show the difference of their ideas. Yep. Well, I'm trying to do that. And thank you. I go to Robert in Los Angeles. Is that Robert? Uh, Distinguished panel, um, I just want to say something. We just had an election this past November. And blacks and Hispanics overwhelmingly voted Democrat. So why are you putting this lie out that Democrats, uh, black and Hispanic, are going to vote for Trump? They're not going to vote for Trump. Trump's going to get his 30 percent of the Hispanic, and he's going to get 2 percent of the Democratic vote. The Democratic Party, the left, is gearing up for this. You're just saying this because you're conditioning the people to accept the invasion of America. People should know that. Okay. Robert, I, um, your stats are are unique, and I'm just following the polling and following what people are saying. And the election of 22 uh, showed large numbers of Hispanics coming over to the Republican Party, which is why we carried all of those border counties on the Rio Grande and uh, were able to carry Long Island. And uh, I think that trend is likely to continue. But, of course, it's speculative until you actually have the ballots counted. Right. That's when we're going to know. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. And I'm The Biden administration is considering a rule that will direct state agencies across the country to issue protections for LGBTQ plus youth, lesbian, gay, bi, trans, and and queer, I think, is Q. That's their word, not mine, who are in foster care. Under the proposed rules, state agencies would be required to ensure that all LGBTQ children are placed in safe, supportive settings that do not practice so-called conversion therapy and are free from abuse or discrimination. These agencies would also have to ensure that LGBTQ plus youth in care have access to evidence-based behavioral and mental health care, if needed, that is supportive of their sexual orientation and gender identity and expression. Now, the... I think that we have to parse this rule. Clearly, conversion therapy is terrible, where you try to use all, ma- all manner, including electroshock therapy, 
and other stuff to try to convince gay people to be straight. That happened a lot 20 and 30 years ago and belonged, has no place in our society and should not be allowed. Uh, but essentially this, this uh, rule would require that you have to be gay to adopt a gay young person, a gay child. And one out of three children in foster care uh, currently think that they're gay. Uh, most of them are way under the age of 18, and most of them really have no idea what their sexual what preference is. What was the percentage is. that they think they're gay, would you say? One out of three, one out of of three. kids up for foster care say that they're gay. Right. And uh, But who knows if they really are? And the idea that you're putting them into a home that's supportive and that's, uh, that will support them making their own decision, controlling their own destiny, I think is superb. But to assume that it's gay and to assume that anything that is other than gay <coughs> is, is wrong uh, is, is the wrong policy. I think the practical effect of this rule will be that foster care agencies will not put anyone in a home that is not a gay home uh, because they'll be worried that they'll be accused of discrimination under this policy. And I think that sexual orientation should not be the basis for deciding who adopts or who gets foster care yeah. uh -huh. or who gets children. The overwhelming need is that we have millions, tens of millions, well, millions of people who are stuck in foster care, can't get adopted, can't get good foster care, or bounce from one home to the other, and uh, they're, they're just lost children. And when they become adults, they become lost adults. And I think for the left or for the mainstream to put its views on this issue ahead of the needs of these children is just wrong. Mm. Uh, I think that it's completely true that no adopted or foster care couple uh, family should promote conversion. Uh, therapy or conversion persecution, mm -hmm. but I don't think that that should that their gayness should really be a de facto qualification for the adoption. Once again, their political ideology uh, trumps the, the welfare of children and what really should happen in the world. Right, exactly. And <clears throat> what they're basically doing is trying to impose a requirement that you have to be gay to get a child in foster care oh or to get God. an adoption of a child that is gay. Ugh. And while it makes sense when the child is an adult, to have that preference to do that to children and to keep them in foster care, prolong them there, uh, because of that requirement, I think is outrageous. And how they going? How are they going to enforce that anyway? Yeah, sure. I'm, I, I, I'm gay. I want to uh, adopt a child. If you want to adopt a child, you just tell them that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, right. How are they going to enforce that? I think that's true. I, I think know. that's true. Huh. So uh, let's go to Joe in Trenton. Hi, Joe. Hi, Joe. Hey, Joe. How you doing? Now they got done talking about that, the, the one in three. I'm sorry. I want to ask you two questions. Number one, 
first of all, how does a child understand the concept of being gay right. without an adult indoctrinating them? Exactly. Right. And number two, when Joe Biden took office, Iran's uh, uranium enrichment was at 4%. Right now it's at 60%. Wow. At that rate, when the next president takes over, that will be 78%. They have to reach 90% before they can use it for a weapon. When is somebody going to take some action against Iran? Joe, as, as I understand it, the math is, is even worse than that. It's very hard to get uranium from basically zero enrichment up to about 20%. Then it's a snap to get it from 20% to 90%. Really? And Iran has a lot of uranium at the 60 70% mark waiting to move it up. Thank uh, you, Hillary. They could do it very easily, very quickly. Uh and the illusion that Iran is X days or X weeks or X months away from an atomic bomb is a comforting illusion, but it isn't accurate. Uh, what we should be doing is reimposing the oil embargo that Trump imposed that Biden lifted when he took office. No single decision by Joe Biden has hurt the world more than that decision. Because he made that decision, Hamas had the money to attack Israel and to slaughter those people because Trump made that because Biden made that decision. China no longer faces a shortage of oil, but can get all the oil it needs from Iran Mm. because Biden made that decision. Iran and its proxy allies are, are sinking all merchant ships in the Red Sea, closing off a huge element of global commerce, namely the Suez Canal from large numbers of people around the world. Uh, this one decision of Biden's is, is really the most outrageous of, of them all. And, uh, and he deserves, of course, neglecting the fact that it's going to open the door for Iran to have nuclear weapons, which is intolerable. And to fund, fund the terrorists. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go to the other Joe from Jericho, if you're still on. Joe Hi, Joe from, from Jericho. Jericho. I'm here. Good. We got Go you. ahead. We got you. Hey, guys. Listen, here's the bottom line. Uh, first of all, Buona Tarde, Felicio Buono the love of the Christ child and you guys and the staff. And also, let's pray for a better year. In the meantime, guys, i got to tell you something. The bottom line is there are people coming into this country illegally, and they're going to house them and, and strapping young men in Ireland on Staten Island, on Fort Wadsworth, the oldest U.S. military base. We don't know anything about them. I've seen them get vouchers at the Salvation Army from Catholic Charities and Idiot Adams and yet American veterans. I had to go into Patterson, New Jersey, to get a voucher for American veterans. I had to go over state lines from Long Island. Well, that's horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's outrageous. Yeah, I mean, I think that the whole – I think that a big part of this massive shift – of Latino voters to the Republicans is because people are seeing the consequence of the open borders. And I think that that's that's clearly what's going on here. Thank you, Joe. I want to get to Norman in Brooklyn, who has a comment about the Maisie Phillips race. Hi. Maisie. Sorry. Hi. Dick, I selectively call you. I don't. I, I, I'm not one of these calls that calls every week. But I, I, I'm very concerned about this issue with Maisie. I like the people who call me every the week. The fact that she's a Democrat and she's running as a Republican—it it really concerns me. Well, 
why should it? Uh, she voted as a solid Republican in the Nassau legislature. She opposed every tax increase. She opposed all of the initiatives of the Democrats. The Nassau Republican Party is supporting her overwhelmingly. And uh, why should the fact that she registered with another party stop you from supporting her when she acts like a Republican and is a Republican? I think she should re-register as a Republican yeah. or a conservative. I, I think I think the allegiance to the Democratic Party, it makes me as somebody who contributes to I mean, I contribute to politicians all over the country. And I, I it just it it just conservative ones. And it it just it it just it's a red flag to me. Well you're not gonna find anyone with a more conservative record than Mazi. And uh and you're not going to find anyone who is unique, more unique as a candidate. She's a black Jew, number one. Number two, she's an immigrant, number three. She was in the Israeli army as a paratrooper, number four. And she uh, opposes all of the tax increases that Swazi is supporting. And uh, if the party in Nassau County decided to run her, as an effort of reaching out and trying to expand their base, I can only support that. But thanks for your call, Norman, even though Dick, it's not every day I welcome hearing from you. Dick, let yeah. me ask you this question. But how do you feel about her giving up the advantage of winning the moderate Democrat vote with, with exactly what you're talking about? I think it's good that we're nominating people from other parties as long as they are indeed conservatives. Uh, no, but I'm saying the moderate Democratic vote, she might lose that, no? That she's, uh... No, I mean, I think the fact that she uh, is bipartisan mm. and was a Democrat, I think, is a great credential for that. Where is she located again? I'm sorry. Nassau County. Uh-huh, and they're turning a little bit, aren't they? Yeah, they are, a lot. Uh, um, uh, so, thank uh, you, John Tobacco. Yeah, they are, absolutely. Interesting. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Hi, welcome to the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro, sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. Let's go to Lisa on Long Island. Hi, Dick. First of all, you did a great job with Mozzie. Mozzie has changed her registration to Republican. This is misinformation. And I live in her district, and I want to tell you something. This is a fight for the survival of our country. This is a woman that was in the military that loves this country. We have no country without a border, and we have no border. This woman knows what it's like to come here and to go through what she went through. She's not playing games. This this isn't for ego or to be some politician with patronage to give out. But please, it's my understanding that she has changed her registration, and she is a Republican, and they will do anything they can to take her down because the battle for Congress, unfortunately, is in this district. But thank you. You did a great job. I think you're exactly right. And I don't think that it's important what she's registered as, except I'm glad that she becomes a Republican. You know, I used to be a Democrat, too. 
and um, it does, shouldn't be a disqualification to have been a Democrat and have seen the light and come over to the Republican Party. Uh, and I think Mozzie would be an excellent congressman. But more importantly, I'm scared to death of what will happen if the Democrats win that seat. All of the investigations of Biden and Hunter Biden and the impeachment of him and the impeachment of Mayorkas, the head of the, uh, of the Immigration Service, all of those grind to a complete halt if the Democrats take the uh, speakership because they will take back the gavel, they will enforce Democratic majorities on each committee, and we go right back to where we were last year with each outrageous piece of legislation coming in. And um, the other thing that might well happen is that the, and probably will, is the Democrats would use their majorities in both houses to pass their voting changes uh, that they proposed originally embodied in what was called H.R. 1, sponsored by Nancy Pelosi, which provided for universal mail-in absentee voting without identity checks, would ban uh, photo ID requirements, and would basically open the door wide to voter fraud, and would do that by changing the uh, voting requirements at the federal level that would be passed down to the states. We stopped that only because uh, Manchin and Cinema, the renegade ex-Republican members right. of the Senate, voted against it. Now the Senate is basically committed to this, and uh, the House can stop it, but will not unless Maisie is is not Maisie is elected. So this is a very very important race, and mm. we have to be very clear about this. Uh, let's go to Tom in Westchester. Uh, gentlemen, uh, Donald Trump, how is he going to remove millions of illegal aliens in this country? I mean, they're going all over it's the not. place. There are no borders. There are visa violators inside this country, 600,000 Chinese visa violators. To me, the establishment wants this to take place. And I just can't see how Trump could remove these millions of people. Well, could you please tell this audience how he will do it? Yeah, well, put it in, in historical perspective. Uh, under under Bill Clinton, uh, the United States deported about 350,000 people a year. And uh, prior to that, under uh, the Bush administration and the Reagan administration, it deported close to 500,000 people a year. So getting that total up to a million or a million and a half shouldn't be very difficult. Uh, and uh, given the fact that many of them have criminal records, uh, many of them have once been deported, having uh, ordered deportation and come back in. Uh, I think that it'll be involved some litigating. It'll involve some work, but I think he's going to be able to do it. I think he's also going to get the Congress to change the immigration rules uh, to make it easier for these deportations. Because Biden didn't have any deportations, Trump's not going to have a problem having a lot. Yeah, uh, but how's he going to find these people? That's what I think this guy's talking about. Well, we how's have, he going to find their these? names, their addresses, their fingerprints, their photographs, uh, their biometrics? We have everything because they used to be in custody, and it won't be hard to find them. Well, okay. Um, also, go to any street corner uh, at uh, five <laughs> in the morning, and they're all lined up for work. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it should not be hard to do that. Uh, I think when you scrape the bottom of the barrel, it might be hard, but. Because of Biden's horrible policies, it, it won't be as hard as well, you think. There's so many also. 
Um, let's go to Russ in White Plains, I guess. Hey, Russ. Oh, hi, Dick. Hey, hey I'm one. I'm one of those calls that tries to call every week, but okay, I try to good. resist the. I try to resist the urge to call two or three times a day, like Steve just did. But you know, thank you for giving that life lesson to Norman. Don't be a party follower. Vote for the best individual candidate. But Dick, you know, I wanted to ask you. I feel that Claudine Gay is being treated like Donald Trump. That it's a pretext. They're going after Donald Trump on insurrection, Russia, Russia court cases because they really want to get him, no matter what. Right. And I think that's that's true about Claudine Gay also. Dick, I wanted to ask you. When I worked at Columbia, Michael Sovereign, who was a lousy lawyer, was the president just to beat back the union. And I don't know when you were at Columbia. I'm not sure who the president was, but don't you think there were an awful lot of white males? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there are a bunch. <laughs> I think I'm one of them. <laughs> but um, look, uh, Harvard is a private institution. It's not a government agency. And uh, they're entitled to do whatever they want in terms of designating their president. They happen to designate someone who is totally unqualified, whose, uh, whose academic credentials are absurd, uh, fraught with plagiarism and with very limited output. So it was entirely appropriate for them to get rid of her. Treated like Trump? No. Uh, she's not being indicted. She's not being brought up on phony charges. Uh, she's being ousted by the Board of Trustees of Harvard University after about six months on the job, and it's fully appropriate that they're doing it. They, they are transforming Harvard single-handedly from one of the most respected to one of the least respected institutions in our society. Hmm. Applications for admission to Harvard were down by 70% before this controversy started. And imagine after this controversy. Uh, I, think that, uh, I think that if you want to get into Harvard... Now is your time. <laughs> Let's go to Patrick in Wabash. Hi, Patrick. Hi. I have a, a comment and then a question. And the comment is uh, all the stuff that you named earlier that the Democrats are doing, like uh, trying to get the main opponent off the ballot, um, the Democrats are, are right. That's, uh, that's democracy. What we have is a republic. And the Democrats have, I don't know if they started it or not, but somebody started, it sounds better to say Democratic Party, but everybody knows that the Democrats aren't Democratic at all. Yeah. Right. I'm not sure that I've ever really seen a big difference between being a Republican and being a democracy. But I sure as hell see a big difference between letting somebody run for president if people support him as opposed to kicking him off the ballot and dictating who the next president is. Uh, so the policies of this administration and its efforts to muzzle, kicked off the ballot, uh, convict, and basically imprison Donald Trump do not belong in a democracy. They don't belong in a Republican. They don't believe in, belong even in a people's republic. Thanks for your call, though. Let's go to Gracie on, in Rockland. Hi, Gracie. Hi, guys. Listen, if the Republicans hope to win, what they have to do is advertise on on ABC, CBS, 
and NBC, you know, all the dummy shows. I was watching on, no, no, honest to God, I usually right. don't. I was watching on ABC for an hour because somebody told me to watch. They had three lying commerci- commercials against that woman, Mozzie. Is that yes. her name? Yes, yes. Mozzie. Okay. Three lying commercials. That is the only way to get the right. dummies because the the populists are more dumb every day. <laughs> and we all started out as Democrats, all right? I'm 76. But as you get older, you get smarter. And you're supposed to vote for the person who has your beliefs and will make this country mm. better. And doesn't Mozzie have seven children what mother doesn't want the best for their children? That's right. That's right. Especially when they're their own election district. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, uh, and I think that in terms of the Republican media thing, uh, buying New York City television is very expensive. And it's uh, probably better to buy cable because you can aim the expenditure more easily. But they'll get around to it. The election is February 13th. Been and an this honor. Can be it's been an honor. Thank you. This was a great show. We'll see you next week.